podcast, Members of the Chamber, is presented by Piper Foods and fueled by McCafe. If you're listening in your car, why not stop by one of Piper Foods' five McDonald's locations in Oakville or look them up on any McDelivery service. We thank Piper Foods for their generous support of our chamber and for everything they do in the community. Now let's get started. Welcome, Oakville Chamber members, to episode six of our podcast, Members of the Chamber. Oakville Chamber members, one story at a time. Members of the Chamber is a podcast where each episode we sit down with one member of our Chamber community and have a conversation. A conversation about their individual professional journey, their job, and how they ended up where they are today. My name is Drew Redden, and I'm the president and CEO of the Oakville Chamber of Commerce. We're broadcasting from the brand new Staples Studio co-working facility located at 320 North Service Road West in Oakville, Ontario. And this is Members of the Chamber. This episode of Members of the Chamber is brought to you by Watson Investments, formerly known as Peter Watson Investments. Since 1991, Watson Investments has been building concrete, actionable, holistic wealth management plans. Imagine the benefits of having someone acting as your personal CFO, better enabling you to feel comfortable to make informed financial decisions. To learn more of what Watson Investments can do for you, call 905-842-2100 or visit their website, watsoninvestments.com, to sign up for a free consultation. Watson Investments is happy to have a conversation. Joining us today on Members of the Chamber is Mary McPherson. Mary is the CEO of the Oakville Hospital Foundation and an award-winning fundraiser with 20-plus years experience in the charitable giving sector. Prior to joining the Oakville Hospital Foundation, Mary was Executive Director of the Georgetown Hospital Foundation. She worked nationally as the Chief Development Officer and VP Fundraising at the Arthritis Society, where as a member of the executive team, she was responsible for raising in excess of $14 million annually. Mary held a variety of progressively senior level positions, including VP Development at Credit Valley Hospital Foundation and management positions with CNIB and Kids Help Phone. Mary is the president of the AFP Golden Horseshoe Chapter Board of Directors, a member of the Leadership Academy Planning Committee, and a member of the Toronto Chapter of the Women's Executive Council. Mary, welcome to the podcast. Hi, great to be here. We're happy to have you. So you've had a long career in the charitable giving sector. Was this a career you set out to be in or did it kind of happen by accident? Totally by accident. Go on. (laughs) So I got a degree in English from Queen's University. And when I graduated, my big plan was to travel in Europe and to work in the UK. So my grandfather immigrated here in 1921. And part of the deal when he came over, he got $100 to come to Canada. From? from the government, from, from the, the government. Canadian okay. government, yeah. and he had the right to, uh, for his kids and his grandkids, me and my brother, to, uh, if, if he ever had any, to work back in the UK without a permit. So oh, wow. we were able to travel there and work there. So my dad never did, but my brother and I 
decided we would take advantage of that. So my brother actually went over in 1994. He's never come back. And really? he's been living there and working in London ever since. And so I decided I was going to do that when I graduated from university, but I didn't have any money. So I took a job, not a job I liked, but it was a, it was a fun job. I worked at a newspaper downtown. And uh, I didn't end up going to Europe. The recession happened. It was hard to get a job. So I worked to try to earn some money. And when I finally got the money to be able to travel for a year, my travel partner got a better job. And she didn't go and I didn't want to go alone. So I stayed at my job. I ended up meeting my husband. So that worked out well. Almost married almost 25 years. So that was good. And then I decided I'd go back to school. So I went back to school to become a public relations specialist. So I did that at Ryerson. And when I did that, I fell in love with fundraising. Totally by accident. I ended up getting a job uh, at Kids Help Phone and at United Way in Peel. And both times I thought, this this is me. This is my passion. And when I went to school, nobody said, oh, you should be a fundraiser. And really, people didn't do that back then. Yeah. People had degrees and they sort of fell into our role. And our, our business, I've been very lucky uh, as I've come through my career that the career and the, and the sector itself is becoming more sophisticated. And I've been able to rise up sort of through the ranks with the rest of the people. So, for example, when I got my certification as a certified fundraising executive, I think I was like the 21st person in Canada or something that got it. Now there's like 2,000 of us. So I was able to kind of be in at the beginning. So that was fun. I took courses at Ryerson, but now we have amazing programs. And I tell everybody who's got uh, someone in university or someone trying to figure out what to do, it is an amazing job. So so you kind of talk about the non-traditional path that you took, but in 2020, what is the traditional path to becoming a professional fundraiser? So a lot of people go to, you can go to school for it right out of the bat, but most people get their, their undergrad and then they take either a master's program, there's one at Carleton, there's programs at, I think there's like 21 of them around here, there's one at Mohawk, there's some at, you can take courses at, I think, McMaster, you can take them uh, at Humber, all sorts of places, and really to get involved in, fundraising is itself uh, its own entity, so it's learning, it's a bit of sales, it's relationships, it's uh, understanding the sector. Our sector is huge. A lot of people don't realize that. We're 7% of Canada's GDP. 7%? 7%. Yeah, huge. There's 86,000 charities in Canada uh, and we're a huge part of the sector. We are itself as a sector becoming uh, more mature. There's actually been a a task force run out of the government. Uh, Senator Terry Mercer is working on a task force to really get our sector represented by one area of government because we're not right now at the federal level. Um, but it's really a, an amazingly active sector. And you can do things like graphic design. You can do, I'm a bit of a generalist. You can do uh, uh, digital fundraising. You can do major gifts. You can do events. There's all sorts of ways. Uh, you can work in a small four-person shop. You can work in a huge, big, you know, national charity. Um, there's pretty much something for everybody. And what I love about it is we get to see people at a time in their life when they're at their very best. Mm-hmm. So even people, for my example, working at, at the Oakville Hospital Foundation, when people have something tragic or sad or, or, or life-changing happen, they come to us with, with gifts of philanthropy to try to make it better for other people. They want to give to excellence. They want to give to help, uh, help their fellow uh, uh, community members. So we get to see people when they're at their very best, their most gracious, when they're full of gratitude and full of grace. And, and it's a real, it's a privilege, really. So that must be extremely motivating for you and your team. It is. It is. It is to see people uh, uh, come to us, you know, things like we have a young girl that uh, she and her sister did a lemonade stand and they drew these, you know, uh, posters and they went out and talked to their school. And, and we have people who make gifts in honor or in memory of people or a doctor that's really helped them out or 
um, pieces of equipment. Ron McLean at the he talked a lot uh, about the life saving equipment that that helped his family a couple of years back that that a donor had purchased. So to be able to be part of those life changing moments in a hospital is is or in someone's life is really really amazing. So you talk about the small gifts like the lemonade stand or, or the larger gifts, and you must have encountered some incredibly generous people in your line of work. And uh, you know, a story I have, uh, a few years ago I was attending a hospital gala, but in Vaughan, and uh, they had a live auction, but with only one item. Um, they were auctioning off the naming rights to a street near the hospital. There ended up being two bidders going back and forth, and the winning bid came in at over $400,000. The room was just electric, I'm sure. You could feel the energy. It was awesome. Um, Can you share a story or two about a time where your expectations had been exceeded or you were blown away by someone's story or generosity? Yeah, and sometimes it's it's the huge, big, you know, million-dollar transformational gifts, but sometimes it's the ones that are even more meaningful you know the ones where where people it might not be a large sum of money to them but uh, you know in you know in in the world but it's it's a it means everything to them so we've had uh we had a lovely family come in um and they told a story about the care that the father received uh, at our hospital and uh, sort of an end of life care and they talked a lot about the way uh every single person Every single person, from the minute they walked in the door of the hospital to the minute they left, treated them with grace and kindness and compassion. And that's really hard to do at a hospital because, as you can imagine, it's it's stressful and it's, you know, things change and it's fast and it's quick. And, and even though the outcome wasn't the outcome that they wanted, it was the way that the hospital staff made them feel. And that gratitude sometimes that people have for that kindness and compassion that you show a family when they're at their most vulnerable is something they just, it's hard to capture in words what that's like. And I think as humans, we try to look for some way to to express that. And so for them, it, it was to express it through a, a gift in his honor. And again, it wasn't a huge dollar value gift, but it was incredibly meaningful to them, which was really lovely. We also had another family uh, who, um, the, 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 the mother, the wife of the family, she is a volunteer, a very active volunteer at the Oakville Hospital Foundation. And for her... Um, she really spent the last four or five years helping us build up one of our events uh, to become something like a real, a real splashy event now in our community. It's raised like something like $1.4 million wow. now. Uh, over, and so she put a lot of her time and effort into that. So when she and her husband celebrated their, uh, their anniversary, the daughters uh, dedicated a bench to them. And so for her, it was just really meaningful that people were going to sit on her bench at the hospital that she worked, you know, day and night for so long to bring so many people to. So uh, it's just things like that. Like, we're just so lucky, right, to get to see what we get to see. And Canadians in general are, are incredibly generous people. And it's a it's a beautiful way. Like we always say, there, nobody has to give, right? When you get up in the morning and all the things you have to do in your day, nobody actually has to make a philanthropic gift. So the fact that people do that, that they think about how they can make the world a little bit better, and Canadians tend to give to to excellence or to mercy. And we see both here in, in Oakville and in Halton, right? We have charities that represent both, and we see an incredibly active uh, and generous community. We did an event, uh, I think it was last year, and we've done it uh, in Georgetown. We did it here in Oakville, and we talk about uh, people leaving gifts in their will. Mm-hmm. And that's something Canadians in general don't like to talk about. Nobody wants to think about that. But it's really important to think about, and sometimes people can make, you end up making transformational gifts. There's tax reasons and all sorts of things. But we don't talk about that as much as the fact that when you think about the community we want to live in, live in in Oakville and the one that we want to leave behind for our grandkids, 
if you want a really strong community with a strong social fabric, you have to make that happen. And to make that happen is to make these kind of gifts to these charities. So we always say if philanthropy doesn't feel good, don't do it. But when you do it, boy, it feels really good. <laughs> and we were joking earlier that the, the hospital, they don't like things that are contagious, right? Yeah. <laughs> they don't want flus. They don't like. <laughs> but in philanthropy, we love things that are contagious because philanthropy is contagious. Once you do one event or give one gift, you realize, well, that wasn't so hard. So, so we talk about now some of the successes you've had and whatnot, but what are some of the factors, uh, it could be economic, political, or even local, um, that would make it harder for you to do your job here? Uh, it's tough. So uh, the economics absolutely affect us. So certainly if you look at giving over the years, uh, when they started tracking it in like the 40s, the first time it went down was in 2008, 2009 after that recession. Okay. And things really changed, I think, in Canada, certainly in, in our sector after that recession. So anytime the market goes down, especially most charities are probably the same as us, we get sort of 40% of our giving happens sort of between Thanksgiving and Christmas. So if the market... That intense at that Yeah, it's time, that right? intense, right? Because wow. that's when people start thinking about holidays and yeah. giving and some people give for tax reasons. Most people don't, but they, you know, they like their tax receipts and and um, it's sort of that, that's really a, a big time for us. And if the market is down or things are uncertain, uh, an election or something that might be uncertain, people might be holding off a little bit. That can certainly affect it. Um, things like we were we were talking before the podcast about, you know, what's happened in Australia or the tsunami that happened a few years back, things like that, the fires out in Alberta. Those things can certainly affect giving. Um, sometimes they, if something happens outside our community, it might negatively affect our, our giving. But for the most part, Canadians are generous and they give where they need to give. So it wouldn't necessarily affect us. So picking up the uh, the Australian wildfires is something we're seeing on the news. And, uh, you know, technology, it's disrupting so many in- industries, whether it's food delivery or, uh, or, or whatnot. What role is technology playing in the fundraising world? So platforms like GoFundMe are making it easier for anyone to raise money and donate to things such as the wildfires. Um, but I'm curious to know, how is it viewed? It's, it's obviously a good thing for some of those larger causes, but how is it viewed in your world um, in here in Oakville? Uh, we are trying to embrace technology, most certainly, and I think most charities are. Our, some of our issues we have in our in our sector are around the way people look at we and how we invest. So people often think that the best charity is the one that spends the least. And that really isn't, we're really about impact. We're mm-hmm. about how do we impact the, the the communities that we serve. So our board, luckily at the Oakville Hospital Foundation, we have a very forward, and I would say that's probably the case in, in Oakville in general, that people think ahead. So we, we're trying to embrace technology. Our sector tends to be behind everybody else, so we wait to see. <laughs> you know, we just got iPhones like <laughs> a few months ago. So we were a little bit behind, and that's okay. But uh, certainly the younger generations give that way. We're seeing more and more people. Uh, here's a great example. We stay open on, on New Year's Eve as late as we can because people want to make gifts right up until well, December a 31st, thing, right? a tax yeah. thing. And we staff up because people come in and drop checks off, etc. And this was the first year almost everybody gave online. We only had three phone calls that day. Really? And usually we have a significantly more. So people are starting to give online more for sure. Again, we're behind. We're not a bank. We're, we're behind that kind of trend, but we're starting to see it. Um, Philanthropy is interesting as well, because if you think about who gives, people who give tend to be older in their life, right? So if you're if you're a millennial, you're just starting out, you might give to the wildfires, but you're not making necessarily a monthly gift. You've got rent to pay, you're trying to buy a house, you're paying off student loans. So it, people tend to give more in their 50s, 60s, and you know 70s and 80s. Our average donor age is about 81, uh, if you look at our database. So people give differently at different ages. So the 81-year-olds aren't giving online as much. We, they still send us checks and give by credit card, but certainly the younger generation will. And we're in a real, 
uh, disruptive time in our sector because we still have a significant number of people that give by check, but we're starting to see more and more give in different ways. And when we go to events, you know, you remember the old donation boxes people yeah. would put down. We don't do that anymore. We bring a square on our iPhone, right? Yeah. People tap to give. And cash is probably... Like almost non-existent, right? Industry, right? And yeah. when you used to do events, you'd have to, you know, 20 years ago when I started this business, we'd do an event, you'd have to hire a police officer because there was so much actual cash at events. Mm-hmm. Now at our gala, you know, we might have a handful of dollar bills, right? Like yeah. loonies, like we really don't get that anymore. People people give differently. So so we're certainly starting to see that. We're using data. Um, we're trying to be more sophisticated in how we use data to help us solve problems. Mm-hmm. So you're starting to see that in the sector. Uh, certainly the Red Cross is way ahead of a lot of us and they're able to use their data to, to help them. And we're trying to do that here in Oakville. So I was just going to ask, are there any organizations in the fundraising space, probably on the national or world level, that are doing it really well? Oh, yeah. Yeah? For and sure. Who, who would that be? Uh, certainly in Canada, Red Cross is, yeah. is doing a really good, we just did a case study about them actually, and we're kind of looking at some of the stuff they're doing and the, the way that they process data, they're able to use it not to reflect on what they did and decide if it was good, but to help them predict what they should do. And they had a really great example. We were at a, uh, a speech a couple of uh, a couple of months ago, and the, they talked about how when the wildfires happened in Alberta, when you think about when you give, you want to give to somebody immediately. But you can't really, the charity can't really give the money out until they have it. But they're now able to use predictive models that they know oh, by wow. X number of days in, likely how much money they're going to get in. So they're able to go to the bank and say, okay, we're going to grant 10 million. We only have five in, but based on this, we know we're going to get another five. So the money goes faster and impacts people immediately. And that's really what, that's why people give, right? It's for immediate, it's not for, you know, to sit in the bank for six months while we figure out how much money we have. So that's, I think, really helping. And we're starting to adapt that. Our board is really kind of pushing us in that direction, which is great um, to look at data differently and to help us make decisions differently and to move a little bit faster. Uh, Digitally, certainly uh, uh, getting our message out digitally, we're able to do it a lot cheaper and a lot faster and a lot more immediate. And we know right away if some kind of digital campaign we put out doesn't work, we can pull it literally the next day. Yeah. It's not like a newspaper ad where you're, <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you we still do those, message. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, so it's certainly, we're, we're trying to embrace it. We are in general a little bit slower than others, but, uh, and, and we're lucky. We, uh, a lot of people don't know our board and, and nonprofit boards are made up of volunteers. Mm-hmm. So we have 22 community members from here in Oakville that sit on our board and they give us insight and oversight and advice and help us push us to be better because we're here to serve the community. We're here to serve the hospital. And so we try to get the smartest, most passionate people around the table to really help guide the charity to the next level. So that's another interesting point. So Oakville is a community that has uh, many, many incredible organizations that give our residents uh, options of where to donate their money. How do you differentiate your foundation from some of the other wonderful causes in the community? So we, as, as a fundraiser, I will say to you, wherever you give is good, yeah. right? you got to give somewhere that it makes you feel good, that you're passionate about, that after you write that check or give that $20 bill or that million-dollar gift, that you're like, wow, I made a difference. So the first thing I always say to people, if it doesn't feel good, don't do it, mm-hmm. right? So what we do and how we differentiate ourselves here in, in uh, Ontario, a lot of people don't know, but um, the, all the equipment that's in our hospital is paid for by the community. Really? So, yeah. So, so no government funding? No, there's very funding? little. There's some, but very little. Yeah. So the majority of our equipment, I would say, like, I don't know the exact number, but, uh, you know, it, it's paid for by the community. Okay. So if you were to walk in an operating room, mm-hmm. it would just be the walls. 
And so every piece of equipment that's come through that door has come through and been paid for by a donor. So our job is to make sure that our caregivers, our doctors, our nurses, our technicians have the newest and best equipment, the very best equipment and everything they need so that when we're the one that walks into that operating room or is wheeled into that operating room, they have what they need to give us the best care possible. So our job is to really, we're here to serve the hospital, we're here to serve the community by connecting philanthropists, connecting passionate people, people who want to make a difference with the needs of the hospital. And in our case, it's equipment. Sometimes it's capital when they're doing renovations. A few years ago, as we know, in 2015, we opened our wonderful building. $65 million from uh, the community went into building the equipment. 30,000 pieces of equipment went into that building. And so... It's quite amazing. And and it's a bit of a circle. And we like to, t- to make sure that people know that when you get the very best equipment in a wonderful state-of-the-art building run by really smart people, it attracts great talent, right? Mm-hmm. So they get a lineup of, you know, between 30 and 40 doctors for every single position they open because everybody wants to work in Oakville. Like, think of the vibrant community that our business community, our schools, our shopping districts, mm-hmm. our amazing parks. That's a really great place. People want to live here. Absolutely. And so physicians are lining up to come in. So we're getting the best and the brightest, which is a bit of a circle. The best and the brightest bring more to us and we get better care. And so it, it's a really wonderful circle that we have. That's great. So you switched jobs a few times in your very impressive uh, bio that we read at the top of this interview. Um, but from working at lo- both national and local organizations, so how does the reach of your organization change the way you ask or the way you raise money? That's a really good question. You know, I've worked both nationally, I've worked in Ontario, I've worked locally, and at the end of the day, people give how they want to give, right? Like, Canadians are all the same, and you probably, because you're from the East, wherever you go, oh, it's different here, it's different (laughs) here in Oakville, oh, it's different here in Georgia, it's different here in Nova Scotia. But really, Canadians are, and to a certain extent, we're, we're a bit creatures of habit. So here in Oakville, we talk a lot about the way that um, the way we appeal to people is don't you want to have the very best hospital in your own backyard? Because you you do, right? We're we're asking people to give to excellence. We are an amazing hospital. When you're giving across the country, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit tougher when when you're doing it nationally because you don't see the impact the same way. If someone were to give us money, we could bring them in and show them the piece of equipment they purchased. We can tell them how many patients it affected. When you're doing something like a research project nationally to to cure cancer, you might not see a result for 20 or 30 years. It doesn't mean it's not important. Yeah. It doesn't mean it doesn't change things. So it's just how you explain the impact. Some people want immediate impact. Some people want the bricks and mortar. Some people don't. So it's figuring out what compels people to give and and really what's meaningful to them. And once you know and understand that, no matter where they live, um, you can connect them to, to your mission. So it's really an por- important part of what we do is being authentic and genuine about, you know, if you want to do a I'm trying to think, of, I don't know, if you want to like a brand new, you know, state-of-the-art theater, that's not what we do, right? Mm-hmm. We do medical equipment and we do renovations for hospitals. That's what we do. And if that's what you want to contribute to here in Oakville and make a difference in your backyard, we're here for you. So being a leader and an executive, you know, leading different organizations and moving from Georgetown to Oakville, um, on a more personal, professional question, what do you find to be the biggest challenge when joining a new team as a leader? I think it's getting to know the community. Um, I think for anyone, certainly in our our job, 
you have to be out there. So I decided to have a bit of a Chandra Rhymes year, the year I started. You might have had the same thing. I had the year of yes. yes. So if you invited me out, <laughs> I said yes. I went to every event, every dinner, every everything. Because once you shop here and you talk to people and you go to events and you see people, then you start to get a feel for what the community is like. Uh, it's really important to do that because as fundraisers, again, people don't have to give. So you have to kind of build that connection. And my observation with Oakville is that I have never worked anywhere where people are so passionate about the community. They want a really great town. They want a strong food bank. They want a great United Way. They want an amazing hospital. They want a thriving business community. They want a great downtown. Like it's, people care. People really care here and they're passionate about it. And and you have to kind of tap into that amazing passion that got us where we are. Uh, we've always been a sort of a hospital foundation. We punch sort of above our weight. And uh, it's because of the amazing leadership and the passion that exists here. It's It's really quite something when you... You kind of have to, well, you know, like yeah. you, you've heard it. It's, it's just kind of something you have to feel like you yeah. go to the chamber events. Right? Yeah, people yeah. are so proud. They want to show you their shop. They want to show you what they did. They want to, you know, and they jump around from board to board because they want to make sure that, you know, every board has good, strong people on it and every charity knows what they're doing and is thinking things through. Oh, so that rising tide lifts all about here. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. And there's a real sense of collaboration, like with the other charities. I don't know how they feel, but I certainly don't feel like we're competing. We're all kind of in this together, and, and it's it's good to create a strong social fabric and a strong you know health fabric for the community. That's just a good thing for everybody. So the way we're wrapping up all these uh, podcasts on uh, members of the chamber is asking you, what is the best piece of advice you've received in your career? So I got two. One, one was from my dad, <laughs> who told me, you don't have to say everything out loud that comes into your head. <laughs> so that's just a generally like good life rule. Uh, but I think the other one was be genuine, mm. right? Like be genuine and be authentic and everything else will fall into place. And so I've tried really hard in my career to, to keep that in mind because sometimes you kind of get carried away. And, and I certainly think uh, being genuine keeps you uh, connected to the mission, right? Because at the end of the day, you're all about the mission of your organization. And, and so, yeah, I'd, I'd say be genuine. That's awesome. Well, Mary, I've really enjoyed this. Thank you again for joining us on the podcast. Thank you so much. And thanks for having me and, uh, and for all you guys do to, to make this such a great community. Well, to our members and listeners, thank you for taking your time out of a busy day to tune in. If you know someone that would make an interesting guest on Members of the Chamber, please send us a note to info at oakvillechamber.com. We would love to hear from you. Make sure you stay up to date on what's going on at the Chamber by following along on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you to our producer and Chamber Communications Manager, Kristen Curry. And last but certainly not least, thank you to Watson Investments for supporting today's podcast. We'll talk to you soon, Oakville Chamber. Yeah.